Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 162. Clever girl, Albert. Clever girl. Hi, Albert. Hey, Julius. How's it going? Hot dog days of summer, or hot dino days of summer, I may want to say. <laughs> it is. It, it is sweltering hot. It's like a, like a volcano here or something. Yeah, if only a pool were open or two. <laughs> <laughs> We will get through this. We will get through this, and you know how we will get through it together, Albert? How? How? Board games. Solitaire <laughs> board games. All by ourselves at home. That's a way to, yeah, socially distant. That's the way to do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so today's board game that we're going to be talking about is Dinogenics. Dinogenics, which I had never heard about before today when you told me about this game. Have you heard of Dino Island? Yes, I have heard of Dino Island. Okay, well, a lot of people bring a very similar claim between Dino Island and Dinogenics, um, because both of them are based on very similar themes. They are both based on the Jurassic Park, um, Jurassic, <laughs> right? The Jurassic Park theme. You're right on board. You can probably guess it by saying dinosaur and what other dinosaur-themed type stuff are there. Yeah, it, it's either about growing dinosaurs or making them go extinct. That's what every single dinosaur game is about. So, uh, just to make sure it's out there, I do not own Dino I- Dinosaur Island. I do own Dinogenics. I'm not going to be comparing between the two. Look to somebody else for that. Okay. But, noting that, let's go ahead and get started with Dinogenics. So, Dinogenics, as mentioned, is a Jurassic Park-type game where you are going to have your own personal board, as well as a big board in the middle of the table which are actions from the mainland that everyone can take um buying dinosaur dna uh buying new facilities buying new fences buying all sorts of new stuff um or buying goats and that's a whole action selection that's going to be over a number of rounds six or seven rounds depending on how you count it and once all of the rounds are done everyone's going to be totaling up and seeing how many points they've accumulated over the course of the game for their own facility and whoever has the most amount of points wins as with each time i will get into specifically how solo plays um, at the end of the game but just be aware that this is a game with scenarios instead of playing a solo game against somebody else or something like that. Let us start talking about the rules. Albert, are you ready? I am ready. Hang on, because I think this is going to be a wild ride, because I think these rules are really bad. I think these are rules that are designed by newer designers that really could have used a whole lot more looking over by someone with more experience in writing good rules i just really do not like these rules let me let me run let me run through you why it is that i like these rules and a lot of things that that were annoying to me just because i felt a lot of things were just out of order out of place missing when it should be for example part of this game is you're going to be having dinosaur dna cards a whole hand of dna cards and you'll combine them all together to make a dna so like one dna may require three or four DNA cards. Let's say you need four DNA cards to make a T-Rex. So if you get a set of four of them, you can go make a a T-Rex. There's a hand limit for your DNA cards. There's no hand limit for your manipulation cards, which are your special mess with other player cards. So there's no hand limit for those. But 
The only time it tells you that there's a hand limit for those is during setup. Instead of telling you in the course of the oh. game when you're collecting them, like when you collect them, there's a hand limit. And by the way, here's what happens when you reach the hand limit. Either you can't draw above it or you discard right down to it after you finish your draw or who knows what. It's not there. <laughs> it's just sort of like offhandedly mentioned at the beginning. Oh, that's kind of weird. Here, they tell you that in the setup, not like when they say, for example, oh, it's time to draw a card. Yes. <laughs> here's here's another thing. Part of the game is there's rampages. Um, if you make a dinosaur and the dinosaur doesn't have everything he wants, or at the end of the round, if you don't feed a dinosaur, the dinosaurs will rampage. There's a section on what happens when a dinosaur rampages. That section doesn't tell you when dinosaurs rampage. It doesn't give you a specific list. You have to sort of like cross-reference across the other places and see when dinosaurs should rampage. Like, tell me, when you make a dinosaur, check if it has what you need and rampages. When you leave, when at the end of the round, check if you feed it. If it's not, it rampages. Or if you don't have fencing, it rampages. And then here's a rampage. And like, doubling up in this instance would have been very good. One in the section for rampaging and one in each of their respective sections. But no. <laughs> well... They would have had a whole other page to do that because the rules are, they're not spacious. They're, they're, they're well formatted and they look super cool and all that, but there's not a lot of free space to add rules. I, but I think, I mean, already Rampages had a section. You have yeah, a section for Rampages. You could have mentioned in there what causes and when you check for Rampages. You could have. They would have had to add here's, a whole other page just to fit that sentence in there. I don't think it would. Plus all the other sentences another... you're complaining about. <laughs> here's here's another one that's really confusing to me there's a market of dna cards that you actually set up at the beginning of the game and players can come and buy and sell dna on that market so albert if i say that you have a market of dna cards and i tell you that there are multiple rounds at the end of each round do you think that you're going to refill that market Mm-hmm. yeah this just goes for somebody who's played a lot of games if you have a market and you have multiple rounds you almost always refill the market at the end of the round. That's just what you do, especially in an Agricola-style game, in an action-selection-type game. You refill the market. No, it, it you don't in this game. But the only way you know that you don't is because nowhere does it say to refill the market. This is one of those cases where a more experienced designer would know, I'm kind of bucking the trend a little bit, and I should mention, don't refill the market. This is This is how the market works. Isn't that kind of neat? It's a player-based economy. There's there's no refilling of the market. Huh. Nah. Okay. <laughs> well, the rules look really nice. You know, they, they, they're well laid out. The art is good. There's lots of examples and all that from the look of it. Oh, they're, The rules are... They're, they're well formatted. They, they have good design for it. It's easy to read, and there's decent explanations. But, like, I have a whole list of rules of things that just didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can continue if you'd like me to, Albert. No, or think, stop if you don't. I think you've given us plenty of examples to go on. <laughs> well, actually, let me give you one more example that just that is the, the most annoying example to me. There's a whole bunch of facilities in the game. Over the course of the game, you're going to be buying these small little square tiles from the tile market, from the city center. And you can install them to your board, which is you take the squares, you put them on your board, and... The squares themselves have small little text and a big picture about what their name is. But this, they don't really tell, except for in a iconographic fashion, what it is they do. 
if you want to understand what it is that they do, you should either memorize all of them or look them up in the rule book. But the rule book has no rhyme or reason for the order of them. They're not listed alphabetically. They're not based on whether they can go on the left or right half of the board. I don't, I don't understand why they're in the order that they're in, which makes it because I'm always, even after playing this game a bunch of times, um, I still have to continue to reference the rules on what the tiles do, on what the, the facilities do, which means that it's really hard to do because they're not, they're not in order. <laughs> they, they're not in alphabetic order. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So I noticed on the website they have a fact available for the first edition rules. And it does mention some of the stuff you talked about, like dinosaur rampages. When does a dinosaur rampage, how do you determine which fence is destroyed? So, so a lot of these things are covered in that. So you'll definitely want to, you'll definitely want to go ahead and download the fact. If you're gonna, it could be that a lot of this is mentioned in the fact, and I know that there is a second edition. I know that the second edition addresses some of the things that I brought up, but I don't know what all it does address because I'm playing the game based on the the one that I have. I, I don't know what else. I don't know what else there is out there. I don't know about an upgraded version. I don't have that. Um, and I know that most people who bought the version that I have, which was a whole Kickstarter crew, have the version that has the problems that I have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I want to tell But that that I I just wanted to get that off my chest. Just just about the rules. I need to get them on the chest. I'm gonna be <laughs> a lot more positive for the rest of the game. I promise. Okay. okay. All right. Here we go. Let's talk about theme. I believe that theme is our next thing. You ready, Albert? You know what? Let, let's pause and before we talk about theme, let's talk about the the people behind the game because we haven't mentioned that yet. Sure. The game is published by Ninth Haven Games. Um, and who is the designer? I forgot. I saw his name. His name also happens to be the uh, one of the. The designer is Richard Keen. Richard Keen. Okay. How about the artists? Do you know? It says N-A in BGG, and I don't know. The art's really nice. That's a shame. They, sh- they should uh, credit the person, because it looks really nice. Don't know. Okay. Uh, it's definitely something we need to be in the habit of saying at the beginning of the episode, Albert. Yep. So that, that's it for the we'll try. And, we'll try and be better. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, anyway. Let's talk about theme. So as mentioned, this is a Jurassic Park-type theme, and it really, I, I feel that it gets the theme... Just about spot on. Um, you have your player board with the with you're making fences for the dinosaurs. You got to throw food at them, and you have random events that are happening that can cause them to rampage, or other players can make them rampage and make things go a little bit nuts. Um, but you're just you're you're building you're building dinosaurs in a Jurassic Park. It's it really feels like a Jurassic Park style adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I saw perhaps, the, uh, you, you told me yeah. about the game. I went online to look at it and I saw pictures of it. And as soon as I saw the first picture of, of the components, I said, hey, Jurassic Park. Yes. It, 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 like you said, it looks just like that's what it is. It is spot on for Jurassic Park. With one exception, I think that your characters are much more intelligent than the people in Jurassic Park. Because <laughs> it is a lot easier in this game to prevent bad stuff like in jurassic park i guess that's just sort of the way that movies work every single movie has something bad happening in this one it's 
relatively trivial to build a safe park so that nothing bad will ever happen. If anything bad is ever coming down the pike, you generally have enough advance notice to build around it to make sure that you won't have something bad happen to you. Like, there's news events that'll come out, but you have a whole round to prep for it to make sure that bad stuff doesn't happen. And if you don't want to do risks um, with cutting corners, you don't have to. And I'm not even sure that it's a good idea to take risks to cut corners. I don't think that it's necessarily a winning strategy. At the very least, every time I've tried to do it, and I understand this is not necessarily as good as a whole bunch of playtesters, a whole bunch of different people playing it, but at least for me, I've never found it to be beneficial to try and cut corners and play risks enough that I would end up winning. So I guess we're smarter than Jurassic Park, which is, <laughs> I suppose, not very difficult because people in movies are often dumb because that's fun to watch. <laughs> yep. So I think we've covered the theme. How about we move on to uh, which would you like to hear next, Albert? Com- components or gameplay? Tell me about the components first. Cool. Albert, if you like cool looking meeples, this is the place to go. The meeples in this game are just gorgeous, which is important because they're going to be on the board and they, they are the whole drive to get stuff. You, you want this game because you like making dinosaurs. This provides you the ability to make dinosaurs. They're <laughs> adorable little meeples that you put on the board with gorgeous looking fences that you place on the board to surround them. They're very nice looking fences. The deluxe ones are very nice looking fences. Um, with the little black and yellow tape on them for danger dinosaur here. And <laughs> they're very cute. The, the cool. dinosaurs are cute. Plus, um, the, the Kickstarter version I have even comes with special zombie T-Rex ones. Um, <laughs> really? which, yeah, it does. They're really cool. <laughs> I, I will say, I like the, the meeples in this a whole lot. The player boards on this also are individual. They're, they're two layer boards. So because you're building out your whole dinosaur park, since it already comes with two layer boards, it's really easy to make sure that things don't get bumped, especially when, when you know, you're playing solo and little kids will come around and mess up your board, which is the whole reason why I don't play or I didn't play until I got the expansion to play much um, uh, underwater cities. Mm-hmm. So, but this one has those two player boards, which is really nice. It has a central board to keep track of, of seasons, which also is a two-layer board. Um, it has a little sliding track. The only negative that I'd give for the components... Well, the, I mean, the only real negative I'd give to the components that isn't easily fixable is the, the coins. There's the one and the three um, denomination coins, which are... They're not very different. They're both essentially just green circles. Um, most games make the different denominations visibly different. Like we talked about um, Isle of Cats mm-hmm. the other time, which had very clear one and five coins. Um, I've, I can't even start naming all of them. But you, normally you make denominations look very different easily to tell at a glance that they're different. Yep. Here, they're just green coins, and it's very easy to, to confuse them. In terms of a couple little nitpicks, which I'd just solve easily, um, the bag that you're supposed to store all of the facilities in is just too small, but I just use that for storage and dump it into a cup when I'm playing the game, a bowl when I'm playing the game. And also the insert, um, 
it doesn't have enough spaces for each individual dinosaur. So I just put two dinosaurs of like one um, carnivore and one herbivore per slot. And because the carnivores and herbivores are different colors, then they go to, then they are easy to tell which ones are which within there. So it works really well. Of course, if you do that, you risk the carnivores eating the herbivores. Um, I suppose that is a risk. Yes. <laughs> um. So I think that just about covers the components. Essentially, very cool. <laughs> as as someone who bought this game because I want to be able to build a dinosaur park, the components really help sell that theme. They do a great job with it. That's neat. It it really looks super cool. I gotta agree with you. Can't be um, heard about this before. I'm I'm as surprised as you are, Albert, and it could be because of what I'm going to say about Solo. Okay. Um, let me talk about gameplay. For the gameplay, I think this is like I think even the complexity rating on BGG over overweights this. I think this is a pretty simple game. This is a very simple worker. Well, not very simple. This is a a a standard worker placement type game. You've got a big set of worker placements out on the out on the main board, and you put your workers there, and you take one of the various different actions. I mentioned that one of the more interesting mechanics of the game is the market because it's it's an economics that's pushed by the players, which means that there's a lot of interaction between the players when you play multiplayer. There's a lot of interaction between the players to be like, oh, you don't really want to deal with T-Rexes. They're so difficult and they'll just kill you. And the other person's like, you know what? You're right. T-Rexes are way too expensive also. And they're like, yoink! I super needed that. Thank, thank you for selling that. <laughs> so that that's a fun way of doing sort of lighter player interaction of fun player interaction because it's not bad that you sold the T-Rex. It's worth a fair amount of money on the market and you needed to get rid of it because your hand size is too big or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not bad and the game helps push it along that people are often going to that market and buying and selling because every time you want to buy something you have to take another action and it's usually oh fine I'll just sell a card. So it helps move it along and it's 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 an interesting thing that you don't normally see this sort of a market that doesn't refill that's entirely pushed by the the players. It does have a slight downside because sometimes that market can go very stale. In which case, you will spend a lot of the game sort of digging through the deck with some of the other locations, just hoping you get what you want because nobody got what you want or everyone's chasing after the same thing or what have you. And that can cause a bit of digging, which can be a slight annoyance of a more open type market. But I think that the the benefits of it being unique and interesting outweighs that minor issue that has admittedly come up a time or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me talk about one more aspect of the gameplay that I feel obligated to mention, if only because it gets so many frowns around my table. And I emphasize, around my table usually means with a bunch of little kids. <laughs> there is one aspect that can end up with a little bit of hurt feelings, unlike at the market where it's economics pushed by players that doesn't feel bad. Every round, there are guests that are going to be coming to your dinosaur park. Um, occasionally those guests can be eaten, but that's perfectly okay. We don't mind that. It's just, it's just publicity. All publicity is good publicity. Anyway, um, <laughs> there are bonus guests that can come around 
And whoever's in first, whoever has the coolest dinosaurs will be the first person to get their pick at those bonus guests. Guests are worth a fair amount of money in a game with, again, limited economics. And you kind of want those. And if you scoop someone late in the last round by having a cooler dinosaur than them, you will get more bonus guests than them. And if you have a whole bunch of hotels, you can theoretically even get a whole lot more guests than them. And I know that around my table, that has definitely caused some frowns where all of a sudden the person who thought they were getting all the dinos- all the guests are suddenly getting like none of the bonus guests. Mm-hmm. That can be frustrating. It can be. Especially at I think the it's... very end of the game and you can't do anything about it anymore. Mm. I think it's I, I think it's interesting. I, I like I don't think it's that big a deal, but it's certainly interesting. Okay. Um so that is I think that covers all of the gameplay. Um again, I think that it does interesting things with the market making it pushed only by the players. Other than that, I think it's just it, it's a it's a straight worker placement game, which is good for it. <laughs> I think that means that it's easier to understand, easier for easier for play, and I think in, in some, that's a good thing for it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so, so it is a worker placement game, not an action selection game. A worker placement, yes. Okay. Which, usually, worker placement is a form of action selection. Yeah, I know, I guess so. I mean, if we really want to get technical about all this. <laughs> Listen, there's an encyclopedia of gameplay mechanics that has been published. It's really? not my fault. Yeah, Albert, have you not seen this thing? No, I did not know that. Oh, yeah, it's an actual technical manual of the different types of board game mechanics that actually lists, like, with specificity and talking about the different types and categories and subcategories and things like that. Oh, I would enjoy books like that. I like research books. Oh, it's super interesting. (laughs) Uh, Jeff Jeff Engelstein, not... Okay. Wait, Jeff Engelstein? Yeah, Jeff Engelstein, I think, is the one of the authors of it. Um, okay. I think the co-author with Isaac Shalev, if I recall. Um, it's it's just neat that it exists. I don't own a copy. It's an expensive textbook because it's a tech, textbook that is designed for like university libraries and things like mm-hmm. that. Gotcha. But it is an interesting thing to exist. Anyway, yeah, uh, moving on. It is a worker placement game which therefore facilitates selection of actions through placing workers on spots. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. The, well, that answered my question then. I believe that we are ready to move on to how it plays solo. You ready, Albert? I'm ready to hear about this. Now, I know a little bit about this. But I'm... You know a little bit about this. There are solitaire scenarios. If you're playing solo, you do not play with another player, like we mentioned in um, Isle of Cats. It's not a modified regular version of the game. It's not a version of the game against a AI character. It's it's a special scenario, and there's like nine scenarios that are included with at least my copy of the game. Um, and the scenarios are listed as from easy to hard. And all of them will make some sort of change. They'll make huge changes to setup, either by requiring you to specifically set up the news deck, which is the deck of random events, um, change what's on your player board, like give you a whole bunch of goats, or give you some specific dinosaurs, or make you have to have a bunch of zombie dinosaurs on your board, or what have you. Make big changes to your player board, and then say go for a limited number of rounds and try to accumulate the most points, 
and based upon how many points you get is how good of an ending you get. Which means that this is not a game that plays like the regular version of the game. I'm typically a much bigger fan of games that emulate or at least feel like you're playing a regular version of the game some way, either against no opponent and just randomized take stuff off the board, against an Automa, against an AI opponent, or just like completely solitaire and get as much points as you want. This one gives you these different scenarios that you can do. And I suppose that's pluses and minuses because that means that there's more variability and when you're playing, but it doesn't feel like you're playing the, it doesn't feel like you're playing the game. If you know, mm-hmm. it reminded me of another game, Wizards Academy, where again, that's a scenario based game, but that's a co-op and you can play different scenarios, but you're playing different scenarios as a whole group. And when I start reading these, I start to think, huh, this would be an interesting thing to make, like, everyone do. (laughs) Everyone has to deal with wild goats. Everyone has to deal with zombie dinosaurs. Everyone has to deal with dolphins. Like, why they didn't make these into variants, just game variants, like, hey, are you bored playing the game? Use these interesting variant setups and everybody can play a different game. All of a sudden, everyone is inundated with wild goats everyone is inundated with raptors like maybe the issue with that is that they run out of pieces i don't know it could be it sounds like a good idea though i mean yeah yeah it makes sense it, it, it kind of would be a good idea in which case i would be emulating variants of the game and then you need to tell me a way of actually emulating another character in in the solo game but the solo game just doesn't feel like the regular game which means that I don't like it that much because I'm just not a fan of those. Like when I play solo, I kind of want to play the game, not play interesting different setups and scenarios. If I want to do the interesting setups and scenarios, I'll play games like Wizards Academy where it's a co-op game and we have a scenario to face. And to me, that that's, that feels better as opposed to doing something that's like not the game. Mm-hmm. It's using the same components, but it's not the game. Yep. Right. Yep. You're what I'm saying, Albert. I get what you mean. It totally makes sense. No, no, I certainly I... understand why some other people would like it. I understand why people would say, "Hey, that's more interesting because it does cool stuff and it's got cool story and it's unique and it's different and it's got more variability and replayability." But I don't know. Strikes a chord in me. The, I like that there's ten of them because I've played other games where the solo rules are like that. They're like, "Oh, it's the solo game. It's it's a challenge. You're you're playing." The normal game, but this time you have your sister on the boat with you, right? As an example, right? But this has ten different scenarios you could pick from, which is which is nice. So they each give you a little something different every time, and they do. And I'm gonna like it's fun. They're fun. I'm, I I want to be very careful and say that this is more like a personal issue for me. <laughs> that the solo scenarios they're fun. I have not clarification. I have not played all of them. I've played. Uh, I played some amount of them because I've owned the game for a while and I haven't like sat down and played all of them in order to do this review. I've played five of them, I believe, um, across the difficulties. And they're fun. 
they're fun to do. They're different. They're interesting. They're not as interesting to me as Wizards Academy. They're fun. They're fine. I just can't get excited about them. I don't feel myself like, oh, I want to go play that. I want to go play a different scenario in Dinogenics. I, I don't find myself doing that. Okay. That happens. It does. It's a shame. <laughs> it's a shame. It's a, it's a shame for me, I think. It's a shame for me. Yeah. All you got is because, you're stuck with just 10 choices. <laughs> because I do think the I do think the game itself I'm stuck with ten choices. It's not that I'm stuck with ten choices. I kinda rather have those ten choices be variants on the game and that the game gives me an actual like automa AI or even just something that randomizes like when you're playing um uh, uh, Uwe Rosenberg, uh, uh, Feast of o- Feast for Odin. When you're playing Feast for Odin, you have two sets of meeples, and the meeples that you're using this time are going to block you next time. Like, even if it had been something like that, or if it had, like, you'd have to probably randomize the DNA market. But, like, that for me would have been more interesting, and then give me the variance on the gameplay, and do the variance of gameplay for everyone, or even limited by player count, who knows. Yeah. But I would have preferred, I would have preferred a game that randomizes the game that that gives me a player in the game, or that lets me play the game solo, as opposed to playing scenarios. So I think I've been clear. Like it's it's hard for me to say that's an issue because I do like the game. I think it's a, I think it's a decent game. I think it's fun. It gives me the Jurassic Park. I don't think it's an out of this world game, and so I'm probably going to only give it a neutral review because I really like the the rules were, in my opinion, awful, and. The solo is not the type of solo that I would probably buy again if I, if I like, in hindsight, I don't think I would get it again because the solo is really not what I want and because there's issues with it. But I think once you get over it, it's a, it's a a good game. It's a good game. Now there is one scenario. I think it's number seven or something. That's like an Automa. Have you played that one? One moment, Albert. Let me go get the rules and I will confirm what you're saying. Dinosaur Sanctuary Hard. Well, I've not played a whole lot. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've not played this one. Let me read it real quick. Are you talking about Dinosaur Sanctuary, Albert? Uh, I don't know which one I'm talking about. I read something briefly on BGG earlier tonight saying that there's a once an hour that uses some sort of Automa or AI deck or something. And I think it was number seven, but I might be wrong. It is not number seven. Number eight, you roll a die on that one. Number eight, you do roll a die. Um, this is a big rule book too. It's got twenty-five pages or more. It's thirty pages. Thirty pages. Wow. Oh, uh, twenty-eight pages. Excuse me. Oh, that's it. Okay, I'm reading through the one you're talking about. It's synth. It's a scenario number eight, and it appears to have. Um, it appears to have a somewhat automa. Um, it's scenario eight of ten, and it's certainly the longest of the scenarios. And I will admit, 
I had not even looked it over. Okay. Um, or at least not looked over in great detail. Because I'm not remembering it now. And it appears to be some sort of Otama. And I've not done it before. So maybe I'll have to do it one time and see what I think about that. Okay, well, that's one of the strengths of this game, I guess. There's a lot of scenarios to choose from. I mean, that's you can say, you can say that about many different games, though, that you, you can make up scenarios for it and things like that. Yeah, but they already went through the trouble of doing that and, and in theory, balancing it and all that. <laughs> that's that's a theory. Yes, <laughs> it's a reasonable I'm assumption. Not, <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's a reasonable assumption. I don't know if that's a reasonable assumption. I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> I, I hate to be, I hate to say that, but if you're including ten different scenarios in it, like I'm not, I'm not sure. In the credits, it mentioned there is, I think, three designers of the solo scenarios. Whatever that's worth. So I mean, two, two. Well, one okay. additional. There's one additional guy who helped with the single player scenarios, Chris Grenard. Oh, okay, in the rule book that the one I'm looking online has. Richard King, Chris Grenard, and Ty Dussabon. It could be that you're looking at a later version of the rulebook than yeah. the one that came in my version of the game. I'm guessing that, yeah, this must be the updated version. I don't have that. I just have the actual physical one that I hold in my hand. Okay. Well, fair enough. <laughs> anyway, Albert, I think we've droned on enough about this. You going to go get it? I don't... Well, I can't. It's not available. <laughs> oh, that's a true point. Yeah, I believe that it's going to be available at one point in time because I think that they're working on getting the uh, expansion to backers and they're reprinting the um, original as well. Yeah, isn't that frustrating? You hear about this really cool game and it's like, oh, I'm going to go get it. No, it's not available. You can't. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it looks like... The, is there a Kickstarter coming out for the expansion or is it already Kickstarter? They already did the Kickstarter. I think that you can still late pledge and get in on it. Gotcha. Okay. And this one is called. Which at this point in time is almost a pre order because if it weren't for coronavirus, I think they would have printed it already. Let me see. Let me, let's tell you what this expansion is. It is Controlled Chaos. It's called Controlled Chaos. And this one has to do with dinosaur fishies. That's I, I did know. not back the expansion. Okay. And that one has, I read that has three more solo scenarios. Don't know anything else besides those things I just told you. The box is kind of green instead of kind of blue. There you go. I don't know anything about it. Probably won't know anything about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, cool. Thank you. This sounds like a really cool game. I know you said you had sort of mixed feelings about at least the solo stuff, but the, the game sounds really cool and the art looks really nice. It's worth looking Agreed. at. It's, I, I mentioned it when we got through components. It's pretty. Mm-hmm. It's pretty. You feel like a Jurassic Park person when you're playing the game. Art in games has gotten better in the last few years, hasn't it? Hey, Albert, let's talk about art and games next time. (laughs) All right. Well, then have a good (laughs) week, everyone. All righty. Good night, (laughs) Albert. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.